0: This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com donate. allah akbar Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. First and foremost, what I wanted to do was take you kind of through a little uh, brief walk or a brief journey, if you will, uh, through some of the ayat of the Qur'an, certain verses of the Qur'an. These are from the end of Suratul Al-Hashar. Surah hashar is Surah number 59. It is a very powerful, very gripping surah um, that speaks about some of the very uh, difficult situations and decisions the Prophet ﷺ was faced with at the time um, in Medina, after migrating from Mecca to Medina, about halfway through the period in Medina. So there were some very difficult decisions that had to be made. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about those very, very uh, difficult choices the Prophet ﷺ had to make. Kind of like what we end up calling impossible choices. He was faced with situations, just to give you a brief uh, kind of an idea, of where you have a very dangerous, vile, aggressive enemy that lives within your area, that lives within your city, that is a constant threat to you and your family and your community. And this threat is not just perceived, it is not paranoia, but there is actual evidence, there are incidents that have occurred previously. So now how do you go about in dealing with such an enemy as the authority, because keep in mind, when we talk about these types of situations a lot of times, we are a minority living within a community, so we turn to the authorities. But what are the authorities supposed to do? What are the authorities supposed to do? Right, so the Prophet Wasallam is the authority. Everyone is looking to him to keep the peace. And now you have the segment of the community that is constantly creating conflict within the community. So now what are you supposed to do? So the Prophet was faced with that decision, that choice. But at the same time, if he was going to take some type of drastic action, then he was also burdened with the fact that then what would happen? Criticism would come. Accusations would be levied. People would say things. People would talk about things. And so he was faced with this very difficult predicament and choice that seemed to be impossible. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about this in this surah, Surah number 59. I'm going to go past that part of it and I'm going to go to the very end of it. At the end of the surah Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala after addressing this one scenario and situation, he gives the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam a framework, a rubric by means of which he can handle all future situations. And the prophet sallallahu alayhi ultimately has the means of divine guidance. He ultimately is divinely guided by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Revelation comes directly to him. Jibreel salam is his friend and his companion. So the Prophet s.a.w. really wasn't worried about, well, what am I supposed to do in the future? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's promise was there. I will guide you along your way. So more so this was an instruction for us. This was a, an opportunity to teach us how to handle these types of situations? So, in Ayah number eighteen of Surah number fifty-nine, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says to the uh, He addresses the Prophet Sallallahu and addresses all of humanity by extension, and He says, "Ya ayyuha amanu, oh you who believe, as we oftentimes translate, oh those who have claimed faith, who have accepted Islam, who have entered into iman, ittaqullah, be conscious of God." Be mindful of your master. Think about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala whenever you're making any type of a decision. Now, that's easier said than done, right? We oftentimes have this conversation. The talk of taqwa is very common. We're near the month of Ramadan. Pretty much every khutbah that you're going to attend from now till the month of Ramadan is going to say, la تَتَقُمْ Right? <laughs> that fasting was prescribed upon you as it was prescribed upon the people that came before you. Why? So that you may develop taqwa. Now, some people will say God consciousness. Some people will say fear. Some people will say mindfulness. Either way, that talk of taqwa is going to be very, very common, especially right now at this time of the year. Because we're so close to the month of Ramadan. But we hear the talk of taqwa, we talk about taqwa, we hear about taqwa, but we really don't sometimes know what to exactly do with it. And so it becomes something we talk about and we listen to, but we're not really sure what we're supposed to do with it. What does it look like? What is it shaped like? How do I exactly grasp it? How do I know I have it? How do I know I don't have it? And so on and so forth. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala walks us through the process of developing taqwa. Taqwa is going to be the end product that we end up with. Alright, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is presenting this, it's almost like a preview that here is the end conclusion, it's taqullah. Now let's take a journey through the process of how we arrive at this conclusion. Because now you're motivated. We all want taqwa, we all want this elusive taqwa, this God consciousness or mindfulness or fear of God, like whatever you want to call it, We we're all seeking it out. We're all seeking it out. So how do we get to that particular point? So Allah says, nafsum ma qaddamat That every soul, each and every single soul should take a very, very close look at وَالتَنظر. Every single soul should take a very close look at ma qaddamat what that soul has forwarded, what that soul has invested and sent forward for tomorrow. What have you invested for tomorrow? That take a stock and take an analysis of where you stand, very honestly. And see, whenever we talk about muhasabah and the idea of accountability or self-accountability, muhasabah to nafs is self-accountability, it seems like something that is reserved for the great you know spiritual masters of the islamic tradition right the oliya the atqiya the askiya right the pious and the righteous and the godly they are the ones who engage in this type of self accountability and we hear little narrations that there was um so, so and so who used to count the number of words that he would speak in a day. And every day he would try to decrease that number and you hear that and you're like what? Right? Have you ever been around me and how much I talk? That's impossible. I probably speak in my sleep more than he did while he was awake. Right? We don't we don't ever stop talking. We don't we don't stop talking even when we go in the bathroom. By the way, please, just stop, okay? Worst experience of all time. You go into the restroom, even at an Islamic convention, and the guy in the stall next to you is having like a full-on conversation on his phone. Please, please, just stop, okay? All right, I I, I admire your confidence and your... I don't know, whatever, but just stop, okay? It's messing with me. I can't deal with it. But, so we talk so much, and all of a sudden you hear these stories, people writing down every word that they would ever say, people counting the number of words that they would speak, and such a high level of muhasabatun nafs, that it all of a sudden becomes something that is, like I said before, it's for the elite. It's for people, just we almost look at it as a superhuman feat. All right. But that's problematic. That's a problematic attitude. So I want us to talk about it from a more practical perspective. And so let's take a look, let's take a look at the real world application of this idea of self accountability. We have financial self accountability, or at least we should have financial self accountability, which is another whole huge issue and problem that really needs to be addressed. Right. I've talked about it here at the ICNA convention before as well. That as much discussion that we have about economics and finance and Islamic finance and everything, we have a huge gap right in the middle of it. We have a huge void in all of our discussions about finances. And that is, we don't have enough attention given to education on handling one's own personal finances. That's a project we took very seriously. So in Dallas, based at Qalam, um, I have actually a couple of students and a couple of brothers that are involved with the institute where they've developed an entire curriculum. I encourage you, we're, we're not selling you anything. It's free. The whole website is free. There's an ebook that is free. Every, all the material there is free. There's a podcast that is free. It's called DebtFreeMuslims.com DebtFreeMuslims.com It's completely free. Now if you don't go and check it out, then that's all completely on you. But... We don't know how to handle our money. We don't know how to manage money. We don't know that just how to stay out of debt. And I see a lot of young faces. It's, it's a scary world. The second you turn 18, they start mailing credit cards to your house. The second you go to campus, the first time you get your own address, you move into a dorm in our apartment on campus. Guess what? You receive a bunch of credit cards in the mail. The first day of campus as you're walking around getting oriented to the campus and everyone's got their booth out, the MSA and all the other student organizations and everyone. There's a bunch of credit card companies out there as well trying to sign you up. That stuff is poison, stay away from it. Alright, so when it talks about it, what I was saying was that self-accountability. So if you've, alhamdulillah, lived a little bit of life, you've paid some bills, so on and so forth, you learn how to have financial accountability. That you learn to basically just do the math. How much money do I have? How much money have I spent? Right? How much money do I have in my account? How much money have I spent? Where is my money going? So on and so forth. Very simple, very easy. At some level, you start to even learn how to manage your time. Hopefully sooner rather than later. Otherwise, you learn that lesson the hard way. How much time do I have? How many things do I have to get done? So the idea of self-accountability is a very practical common notion and idea. It's, it's intricately worked into everything that we do. We don't even realize that we're doing it. When you look at how much gas you have left in your tank and how much distance you have to drive, you are conducting basically accountability at that time. That you're lo- taking a look at what resources you have available and what tasks you have in front of you and are you going to be able to manage spiritual self accountability is no different it starts very simply like that and that's why the very first step ibn qayyim ta'ala in lahfan he talks about the very first step of that self accountability is to take a look at your fara'id let's just start right there your obligations and take a stock right we always say brother it's hard to pray 5 times a day i'm so busy really so busy And again, there might somebody who's, uh, there might be somebody who really is just crushed under a lot of pressure and a lot of obligations and responsibilities. And my heart goes out to you. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for you. But for the most of us, and I speak from some level of experience and understanding and presence in the community, knowing a lot of people, seeing different types of people from different walks of life. I can very comfortably say that most people have enough time in their day to be able to fulfill their obligations. What are obligations? Pray your five times a day. Starting with just praying your fara'id. That's five minutes at five times during the day. That's a total of 25 minutes. Even if you round it up a couple extra minutes here and there, it is a total 30 minute commitment in a day. Since most people don't actually watch television anymore, most people are on Netflix or whatever, right? The average sitcom is twenty-three minutes. The, you know, uh, how many? Think about how much time you end up spending on social media. Think about how much time you end up watching YouTube. So when you kind of calculate all that time together, what you realize is you have more than enough time. So the first thing is to get your obligations in check. So now, after you get your obligations in check, the next part of that self-accountability is to take a stock, take a look at things that are in your life that are absolutely, clearly, without a doubt, impermissible. Look, we're not, we're not talking really big, fancy stuff here. I'm not telling you to read a whole Quran every single day, at least not yet. Because why shouldn't that be part of the goal eventually? I mean, think about the types of career and financial goals that a lot of us have. Why don't we have that similar type of goal setting when it comes to the akhirah, when it comes to the hereafter, when it comes to spirituality? It's really quite sad. And so... You start by making sure you're fulfilling your obligations. The next step is to make sure that you are removing everything that is impermissible from your life. Now, from there you start to take a stock of things and you go forward. So let's take a journey through this. So he says, You start taking a look at what you are investing for tomorrow. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us again that the only thing that will keep you on this path, after a while you're gonna hate this exercise and practice. Because the nafs by design, the nafs in its nature is a wild animal. And a wild animal does not like to be tied up, does not like to be chained, does not like to be restrained. It does not like it at all. So what happens with a wild animal the second that it gets a little bit of daylight? It gets a little bit of a crack of daylight. What does a wild animal do? It runs and if that door opens this much, that wild animal goes and rams that door trying to bust out into the open. So every single time that you try to close that door on that nuff's, you try to rein it in, you try to chain it in, that nuff's is gonna go smashing into the door and trying to bust out. And so you have to remind yourself why you're ultimately doing this. And that is to have a better relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To make sure that Allah plays a practical role in your life every single day. In Allah Khabirun Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without a doubt is fully informed all the time of each and every single thing that you are doing or that you will do. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala really analyzes this idea of self-accountability. Allah tells us in ayah number 19, Do not be like those people who forgot God. So the very first step is you won't be motivated to actually take this journey if you don't care about your relationship with Allah. But what happens when you don't care about your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Those people who don't care about Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, punishes them by subjecting them to the worst fate possible. And that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes them forget about themselves. Allah makes it so that they don't even care about their own well-being anymore. And think about everyone that you've ever seen with destructive behavior. Such destructive behavior that you're like, dude, self-accountability is not even necessary. You know, some muhasaba or muraqaba or some fancy Arabic word or spiritual practice is not even necessary to be able to understand and realize what you are doing is destroying you and everyone around you. Right? If somebody gets involved in some very dangerous criminal activity and they're on the run from the law, you're like, what are you doing? You're destroying everything in your wake and in your path. How do you not get this? Right, when you see somebody, and again, if this kind of hits home for some people, maybe you know somebody or whatever the case may be, I apologize, I'm not making light of your uh, situation. But just to give practical examples, when you see somebody who's addicted to drugs, destroying their life and destroying the lives of their family, then you're just kind of like, what are you doing though? Stop, why wouldn't you stop? You're destroying everything around you. But what ends up happening is that when you neglect Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when you don't care about Allah and His place in your life, the the, the predicament that comes out of that is not that Allah makes you, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't care about you or whatever. Allah makes it so that you don't care about yourself anymore. That's the scary thing. فَأَنْسَاهُمْ أَنْفُسَهُمْ أُولَئِكَ هُمُ الْفَاسِقُونَ That those are people that start to live their lives on a consistent manner, day in, day out, morning and evening, outside of the realm of the protection of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. They start to live their lives outside of those boundaries, and Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala gives us a little bit of perspective. One of the things that Ibn Qayyim talks about when he speaks about um, this idea of muhasabah, he says that when a person does not have this muhasabah, this self-accountability in their lives, they don't hold themselves accountable, and then things start to go awry. Things start to go bad within their lives, and they start to deal with the fallout of that. They start to struggle with all the difficulty that comes along with that, the baggage. Then. They don't want, they they see, they can still see the road to redemption. They can still see the road to redemption. It's right there with a huge sign in front of it pointing to it this way. It's right there in front of them. But they still are not willing to make the commitment and give up that which is so pleasurable and pleasing to them self-gratifying instead of... They are self-gratifying instead of self-accountable. And so they still don't want to take the correct course of action. One of the first things that they do to cope with that situation... Because imagine realizing that I'm, I'm messing up here. I'm destroying myself and everything around me. Right here in front of me is the way to fix this. But I don't want to do that because it doesn't seem like it would be a lot of fun. Now, you're gonna have to figure out a way to live with yourself. So the first step that that person takes in terms of trying to live with themselves is that they start negotiating. They start negotiating. And one of the key types of negotiations that occurs at this particular time, particularly from a spiritual perspective, is وَكَانَ اللَّهُ غَفُورَ (laughs) <laughs> right, that Allah is very forgiving and very merciful. And Allah is forgiving and merciful. You cannot limit the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and I cannot restrict the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is true without a doubt. Allah is forgiving and merciful. But that person is trying to convince themselves of something. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions here, لا يستوي أصحاب النار و أصحاب He says, look, people who go to paradise and people who go to hell are not the same, nor will they ever be the same. It's very fascinating, right? If Allah was saying that people who go to paradise are not like the people who go to hell, like people in paradise will not be with the people in hell, well obviously because there are people in paradise and those are people in hell. Why would Allah be telling us the obvious and stating the obvious? That these are two separate groups of people. I could tell that they were two separate groups of people when one group was called people of paradise and the other group was called people of hell. I could tell that already. What Allah is saying is that they don't even look the same in this world. They don't look the same in this world. They don't live their lives the same way in this world. They don't conduct themselves in the same way in this world. The decisions they make, the priorities they have, the challenges that they accept are very, very different. When you it didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out when you were in the company of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, the companion of the Prophet Abu Bakr, it didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that you were with the person of paradise. When you saw Khadija, radhiAllahu anha, you knew you were with a person of paradise. And we don't, we can't make a judgment about anybody belonging in hell. But when you were around Abu Jahl, something didn't feel right. When you were around Abu Lahab, something didn't feel right. It felt like this situation wasn't correct. And so realize that you, this is in terms of self-accountability by the way. This is not for us to judge anyone else. Self-accountability. Do you, when you look in the mirror, do you see a person of paradise or do you see a person who's slowly making their way to hell? Ashabul jannati humul Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that the people of paradise, they will be successful. Ultimately they will be successful. They might seem like people who live more difficult lives right now. They might seem like people who are not enjoying themselves right now, but ultimately they are the people who enjoy success. It's a very powerful idea. It's kind of heavy. But I'm, I'm tempted to share it. Everyone's been in the environment all weekend long. Hopefully you can handle something kind of heavy like this. It really blew my mind. It was quite fascinating. It was very humbling. In the battle of Uhud, which was a very difficult moment in Islamic history. The Prophet ﷺ himself was severely injured. He bled profusely from his face. His uncle was not only killed but mutilated. His cousin was killed and mutilated. Many of his companions were killed on that day. Huge losses. It was a very, very difficult day. Abdurrahman bin Awf, who is a great companion of the Prophet ﷺ. He's been there since the second or third day of the Prophet's mission. I mean, this guy's been there by the side of the Prophet ﷺ the entire time. He was severely injured on that day. It's said that he received about 20 wounds in the battlefield. And his leg was so badly injured that he limped for the rest of his life. And he had very bad Uh, pain in his leg for the rest of his life. So he sacrificed a lot on that day. And one time, many, many years later, he was sitting in the masjid. This is after the passing of the Prophet ﷺ. Islam was now spreading far and wide. The Muslim community was growing by every minute. Things were going great. Everything the Prophet and his companions had worked for was coming to fruition, and he was sitting there one time, and he says that Musa bin Umayr huwa khairum minni. He said Musa bin Umayr, who was another young companion who died, was killed on the day of Uhud. He says Musa bin Umayr, he is better than me. He is better than me, and he says that he sacrificed. And he gave his life for the sake of Allah. And he died fighting on behalf of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he says, I'm sitting here today, enjoying myself in the lap of luxury, seeing the community grow, and really enjoying the growth of the community. He says, I'm fearful, I'm afraid. And this is a guy who still walks with a limp that he suffered in the battle by the side of the Prophet ﷺ. He says, I'm afraid that I'm reaping the reward of all of my deeds in this world. I am afraid that I'm cashing in my my stock here in this dunya. That I'm taking paradise here in this world. And that I won't have anything to show for when I get to the life of the hereafter. It's a very sobering thought and idea. These were people who understood... What the reality of this life was and how they lived for the life of the hereafter. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes on. He says, Law anzalna ayah number 21. How to now start building this self-accountability and this God consciousness. Law anzalna the Quran is the primary means to do so. Read the Quran. Reflect on the Quran. Study the book of God. جبلين, Allah says that if we would have revealed, we would have sent down this Qur'an upon a mountain, لَرَأَيْتَهُ عن متصديع مِّنْ خشيت اللَّهِ You would see that that mountain would crumble and would just literally fall to pieces out of the fear and the understanding of the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah says, these examples we give to people so that they would actually think and reflect on them. That we interact with this Quran on a daily basis. It is the word of God Himself. All of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah tells us in the Quran, it Talks about the praise and the glorification of Allah. Every single creation of Allah talks about His praise and His glorification. This surah in the beginning itself it says, ma fil Everything in the heavens and the earth speaks about the greatness and the glory of God. But the human being is still the envy of all of Allah's creation. And one of the primary reasons for that is that this human being has been granted the gift and the ability to be able to speak the words of Allah with their own tongues and their own mouths. No other creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has that honor. And for this very reason, all the other creation of Allah envies this human being. So reflect and think and read and educate yourself. Whenever we talk about reform, whenever we talk about changing the situation, understand education is always the first step of that. You don't want the very profound realizations and reflections is that there are authentic narrations which tell us that Allah did not send any prophets between Isa alayhi salam and Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasalam. There were no prophets that came between them. And it was a span of over 600 years. So for six centuries, revelation did not come to this world, prophets did not come to this world. Now somebody might say, well, what's the big deal with that? It's been 1400 years since the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasalam. More than twice that long. That's true, but we have the Qur'an. Can you imagine what would happen to this world? What would happen to us if 1400 years passed without the Prophet and without the Qur'an? It's unfathomable. So six centuries went by and there was no revelation. And after six centuries, six hundred years, when the doors of Revelation opened again for the very first time, not the first surah, not the first ayah, but the very first word that came down through those gates was the word iqra. And the word iqra does not mean recite. That's utl from tilawa. Qira'a, iqra means to read. And in the Arabic language, that means automatically it's inclusive of the meaning of comprehend. Read with understanding, read while comprehending, read and understand what you're reading. So open your mind and educate yourself was the very first command that came from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it was the very first word that was revealed. Because the Prophet as he was sitting there in the cave of Hira, overlooking Mecca, reflecting on society and where humanity had fallen, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him on that night that the very first step to reforming humanity is to educate people. So read and understand and learn and educate. And the Qur'an is the primary means of that. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us, because remember it said, the very first step is realize, what is your relationship with Allah like? Because if your relationship with Allah is not correct, then nothing else will be correct. Man aslah allahu Whoever corrects things between them and God, Allah will help them correct things between them and everyone else. So the first step is making sure that you fix things between you and Allah. One of the most profound examples of. Just the eloquence of the Qur'an from ayah to ayah and the connection and the continuity between verses that I personally have come across within the study of the Qur'an is found in Surah Al-Baqarah. In Surah Al-Baqarah, Surah number 2, ayah number 238, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is talking about the dynamic and the issues and the rules and the regulation and the legislation of divorce. That why does divorce happen, when it happens, how, what are the procedures for it, what is the aftermath of it, what is supposed to happen after it. It talks about all the rules and regulations. It is the most comprehensive passage in the entire Quran about the rules and the regulations of separation. It's a very serious topic. It's a very technical topic. This year in the seminary, we actually went through the study and the analysis from a legal perspective of those ayats. Must have taken at least two months. Very, very detailed, very, very elaborate, very complex. But the fascinating thing is, in the middle of that passage, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, ala salawati. عَلَى الصَّلَوَاتِ salawat. عَلَى الصَّلَوَاتِ وَالصَّلَاةِ الْوُسْطَى وَقُومُ لِلَّهِ قَانِتِينَ Allah in the middle of the passage, where it's talking about rules and regulations of divorce and separation. He says, and very carefully, very cautiously, watch over the prayers. Now if we pause here for a second, what does watching over the prayers, maintaining the prayers, have to do with divorce? It's a good topic. If there's any topic that you could interject into any discussion, and that, that would be, take care of your salah. You could say that line in the middle of anything and it would completely fit and work. But at the same time, Allah's speech is not like you and me. Not like you and I. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's speech is so sophisticated, so beautiful, so coherent, so perfect, that how does that ayah fit within a passage about divorce? How did Allah go from divorce to talking about maintaining prayers to going back to talking about divorce? It's a question you and I have to answer. And so the scholars, they help us understand this, and what they explain, the mufassirun is that one of the things, there's many, many benefits and blessings in this, and how Allah connects these two ideas, that that's another discussion for another day. But one of the very basic and fundamental ideas is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about reconciliation. And Allah is talking about analyzing the core and the root of your problem. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that maybe the divorce is not the problem itself, but it is symptomatic of the real issue. That before you analyze and you evaluate your relationship with each other, go back to your respective corners, take a break from slugging it out, and reflect on your own relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Where are you in your relationship with Allah? How is your relationship with Allah? Because we have to understand that we as human beings are the product and are the beneficiaries of barakah, blessing. What is barakah? What is blessing? It is the eternal blessing that is granted by God into anything and everything that we do. And it is the engine, it is the only thing that keeps us moving. You know when you see somebody who has all the money in the world and doesn't even have a lot of responsibility, but they seem to be living in nothing but misery and pain and suffering. And then you have somebody else who barely can make ends meet, has all the responsibility that you could ever imagine. And that person is quite literally like the happiest and the most fulfilled human being you have ever met in your life. Being around that person just makes you feel better about yourself. You know what's the difference between those two people? Because this guy's got more resources and less responsibility. This guy's got more responsibility and less resources. But because this guy's got barakah and this guy obviously does not. That's as simple and plain and easy as it is. Barakah is the ability to do more with less. The ability to do more with less. These are miraculous stories from the life of the Prophet Alaihi Wasallam. But at the same time, it's a part of our tradition and it's powerful and it's beautiful and it's worth thinking about what is barakah. Let me just give you a little simple example of barakah that is miraculous but very simple. The Prophet of Allah Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu, he was a companion of the Prophet He was from what they call the Ashabu Sufa, The people that lived basically in the masjid and were at the you know, mercy of the community to basically share, give them some type of food or sustenance. He says, I hadn't eaten for days. Because everyone in Medina was in dire straits, was in financial difficulty. I hadn't, eaten, I hadn't eaten in days. So he says, after Isha prayer, I sat down at the door of the masjid, saying salam to everybody who passed by, hoping somebody would be like, hey, why don't you come have dinner with me? So he says, Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu comes. And I say, as alaykum. How's it going, Umar? And he says, Wa salam And he just walked off. Because he didn't have anything to eat at home either. Then Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu came. And Abu Bakr, I'm like, as alaykum Abu Bakr. Everybody knew how generous Abu Bakr was. And he's like, Wa alaykum salam And he just went about his way. Because he didn't have anything either. He says, finally, the last one to come out of the masjid was the Prophet And he says, when the Prophet got to the door, before he even reached me, he saw me, and he stopped and he smiled at me. And he says that the Prophet smiled at me, and he said that, you're hungry, aren't you? And he said, Ya Rasulullah, I haven't eaten for days. So the Prophet ﷺ said, come with me. And he took me home. And we sat down and he asked his wife, do we have anything? And she said, somebody just sent over a bowl of milk. So the Prophet ﷺ tells Abu Hurairah, all your buddies in the Sufa," and he says there was about 70 of us. He said, they probably haven't eaten either, right? And I was like, no. So he said, I, I want you to go get everybody. And he says, the moment he said that, of course, وطعنا, we listen and obey. You do what the man tells you to. But he said, at that moment when he told me to go get everybody, my heart sunk. Because I knew that if he was telling me to go get everyone, then he was going to tell me to serve everyone. And the one who serves is the one who eats last. And there's a bowl of milk and 70 hungry dudes. There ain't nothing gonna be left. Right? So, I went and got everybody, brought them back. Everyone sat down. The Prophet as I expected, told me, Abu Hurairah, serve everybody. So I went around serving everyone in the room. And everyone drank from the bowl of milk till they were full. Until it finally ended, all 70 people had drank to their fill. And the Prophet took the bowl and he handed it to me, he goes, now you drink. And the bowl was still full. And I drank. And when I was done, I gave it to the Prophet Alaihi and he said, drink more. And I drank more and he get, I tried to give it back to him, he said, drink more. And I drank even more and he said, drink more. And I said, I can't. I can't. So then I finally gave it back to the Prophet ﷺ and he drank it and he finished it and then thanked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's barakah, that's blessing. That's barakah, that's blessing. So sometimes I was explaining about that, those ayats in Surah Al-Baqarah, relationships go awry because there's no barakah and no blessing in them. There's no blessing in them. So Allah is saying, go back to you your own corners and fix things between you and Allah and then try to get back together again and whether things end up working between you or they don't at the very least you know you'll be able to handle and deal with the situation so fix things between you and Allah umar ibn khattab radiAllahu ta'ala said something very powerful about this idea he says that faman man kana whosoever will be irresponsible about their prayers, salah, will be even more irresponsible about everything else in their lives. fihi If somebody can't be good to God, if somebody can't be good to the one who gave them everything and everyone, then why, how would you ever expect that person to be good to anybody else? See, this idea of self-accountability is to become better people we will actually become a source of happiness for the people in our lives. Whereas now without realizing it, I might have become a source of misery for the people in my life. That self-accountability is very important. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala concludes and ends here by focusing us towards our relationship with Allah. And He talks about Himself in ayah numbers uh, 22 through 24. The last three ayat of Suratul Al-Hashar, very famous ayat, everyone's very familiar with them. Allah says, la ilaha illahu. He, Allah, alone is the one that there is absolutely, positively, nothing, no one, worthy of any worship except for Him. Alimul ghaybi wa Shahadati. He fully knows that which is unseen and that which is seen. So the things that you do in your private moments in the middle of the night where nobody else is around, Allah knows that. And are you still breathing? Are you still sitting here? Are you still enjoying the blessings of Allah? Even though Allah knows every dirty dark little secret you have. Allah knows about every skeleton in my closet. Yet I'm still sitting here. I'm still standing here. Enjoying the blessings of Allah. Isn't it time that I reciprocated to some extent and capacity? Shahada, And He knows everything that is seen. Rahman Rahmanul Rahim? He, Allah, is the abundantly merciful, the constantly merciful. That no matter what we do privately or publicly, He does not deprive us. Who Allahul la Ilaha Illahu? He, Allah, alone is the one that there is absolutely, positively, no one, nothing worthy of worship except for Him. Now, Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala lists some of His attributes, which I won't go into a lot of detail, but I'll mention very briefly: Al-Malik, which means the King and the Ruler. He owns and rules everything. Al-Quddus, the one who is sacred, sanctified and holy. He's so above and beyond us and our filth. But He still takes care of us and looks after us. As-Salam, the grantor of peace and safety. He's granted us His peace and His safety. Al-Mu'min, the one who grants security and stability. Some mention that salam refers to the physical peace that we enjoy. Physically he protects us and mu'min is the emotional and the psychological protection and security that he grants us. al muhaymin constantly watching over us. Al-Aziz dominant and powerful. So if He wanted to, He could crush us in an instant. Al-Jabbar, the one who can fix anything that is wrong. Different translations are given of this name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but Jabr al means to correct that which is broken or wrong. He could repair everything that's wrong. But He gives us time to work through our issues, and to figure things out. Al-Mutakabbir, that he is above and beyond and greater than anything and everything. But he still continues to humor us and deal with us. Subhanallah yushrikun Allah is so beyond and so perfect and free of anything that people attribute to him. Who Allahu al Khalik, He Allah is the one who not only creates Al Bariu, but then what does He do? is that then he gives form and creates in a very unique way al musawwir he fashions and he perfects lahul asmaul husna exclusively reserved for him are the most beautiful and excellent of names lahu ma fi samawati wal ard that everything in the heavens and the earth is constantly non-stop glorifying him and praising him and he, Allah, is dominant over each and every single thing. And he, Allah, is wise. Completely holding the wisdom of each and every single thing. All wise. So start taking practical measures in your life every single day. To start ensuring and implementing some level of self accountability. As Umar radiallahu ta'ala used to reprimand himself every single day. He used to talk to himself. And every single day he would say that, either he would say to his nafs, that either you will stop the wrong that you were doing, or God will hold you accountable one day. We have been granted the ability, Hasibu qabla He used to advise all of his ministers, and the people that would work for him, in the khilafah, he used to advise them, that hold yourself accountable before you are held accountable before God. And the more that we go forward in our lives, the more responsibilities we have, the more privileges and resources we have access to, the more it will delude us and make it difficult for us to be reflective and introspective and hold ourselves accountable, but the more self-accountability we need and require. Because with the amount of blessings increases the amount of accountability. And if we can learn to hold ourselves accountable here in this life in this world it will free us from the torment of accountability on the day of judgment. The prophet sallallahu used to make dua, Allahumma hasibni hisaban yasira. Oh Allah, account us very easily on the day of judgment. The prophet sallallahu said man al hisab faqad halak. That if somebody if Allah decides to hold somebody accountable in detail that person is a goner. He is done. He will be destroyed. Because there is no way that we can account for all the blessings that we enjoy. But we can solve that problem very simply by learning to hold ourselves more accountable here and today and now. So make an effort. You know, even though the Qur'an and the sunnah is the most powerful reference, but especially... You know, a lot of times we think that like I said in the very beginning, that these are very weird, bizarre or kind of like, you know, spiritually kind of elite things that are done. This is from the habit and the practice of all successful people. When you, when you talk to people that are very, very successful in whatever line of work, whatever field, whatever it is that you want to accomplish, they talk about the fact about how they have a detailed, written out schedule every single day. Every single activity that they do, they have it written out from before. And then at the end of the day, they revisit that list and see what they did and what they did not do. What they got to and what did they, what did they not get to. Benjamin Franklin, it talks about how he used to write down every single thing that he would say every single day. Successful people in all walks of life do this. And most importantly for us, the greatest spirit, spiritually successful people. The Prophet Wasallam, the companions of the Prophet Wasallam, the great revolutionaries and scholars and movers and shakers of Islamic history, they were people who had a very high level of expectation of themselves, and they held themselves accountable. So make an effort to start holding yourself more accountable starting today. Where I know for a lot of people, this is kind of like uh, a a departure message. Everyone's gonna be heading home. I myself am headed home with my own family. This is a perfect message to kind of take home and to be able to live with. That from today, don't wait till tomorrow from today, start to hold yourself more accountable. Write things down. Start to see what you get to and what you don't get to. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant to خير fiqh. عليكم